0: Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church?
1: Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City.
0: What? Where the hell is Sioux City?
1: Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. And it's always good to be with all of you, our Outcast listeners. It's always fun that I get to go around the diocese and meet some of you who do listen frequently. Um, received a gift from one of our listeners recently, so thank you so much for that. You know who you are, but it's it's so good. Yeah, it's good to know that our thoughts that this ministry that we have is touching people's lives, and it's it's always it's always helpful to hear from you. So thank you for those who've who've seen me at different parishes, who've reached out, and who've made that uh, made a comment about that. Um, it's good. It's, it's a weird experience of doing something over the air and we're not sure who we're, who we're we're meeting. Right. Especially folks Mm -hmm. who are listening on the radio, folks who are listening on their podcast. Like, um, we have a hope that the Holy Spirit's at work and can bring about conversion of minds and hearts in us and in all of you as well. But yeah, thanks so much for all those who, who do listen and do support us with your kind words and your support. Um, father shane as we need to so frequently mention we are still separated by many miles and technology here as we record um but i am don't worry still thoroughly here in sioux city um keeping that alive our connection here in the you know upper midwest and rural iowa um Mm -hmm. and i just need this this is a little bit like particular to sioux city folks okay and to folks in our diocese in northwest iowa Father Shane, when I would stay with with you over the years, when you know, staying, you know, coming to town for ordinations and different things like that, there was one particular time, you know, where you lived in town at the as, at the residence hall for multiple priests, where the cathedral is, where healing is, where the high school is. It's a it's kind of rough part of Sioux City, and as a, mm-hmm. as a as a as a native Sioux City and yourself, the near north side is it's it's the first kind of residential blocks north of downtown for those who've not mm-hmm. been here, right? And it's just, there's some folks who, there's a lot of folks who walk around. It's, you know, the cathedral property kind of sits right in between the soup, soup kitchen and the warming shelter, homeless shelter. So there's just a lot of, a lot of folks kind of running around, a lot going on in, in Sioux city. But when we talked before, you were like, always telling me, no, there are nice parts. They're kind of the suburban part. There's kind of the commercial, you know, part of Lakeport commons and all these different places. Um, the more and more I've lived here in the near North side, though this is very localized to Sioux City, very local in particular um I would so much and I think people feel this it's like I would feel more freedom to drive to Omaha than to Morningside, like Morningside's just the other side of Sioux City, and it takes like fifteen minutes to get over there. It feels like it's so far away right and and other local Sioux City you're not you think it's silly it's true though it's like I just most of the stuff happens over here right over here in the north side, you know, kind of where it's my friends are where all my work is. Right. And I just, in the past, I used to think, man, this part of town's kind of crummy. But just the other day I went over and I, I, uh, I blessed somebody's apartment over in Morningside and I went over there and I just realized I appreciate, I appreciate the downtown living that I've got to experience for a year. I kind of like the grittiness. I I like the architectural variety and the ethnic diversity that's, that's present here. So I just, I can say, you know, kind of definitively in the past when I, when I, i don't know i kind of look down in this part of town i'm realizing like i think this is this is my hood um, i'm i'm realizing it you know more and more
1: I i'm glad here. you're uh, this is why embracing your
0: this is why sorry i was like okay th- th- always the question is father travis why are you telling the story you're telling and the funny thing is i have to ask myself that in the midst of stories <laughs> sometimes but we're good <laughs> I'm, I'm still on it right now um, plenty of coffee here this morning to keep me on track um the other day, I walked, I was meeting a couple friends uh, for breakfast downtown, just a few blocks away, and it was nice enough outside, so I decided to walk. And as I was walking back, uh, just a lot of, like, interactions kind of played out that just made me feel like I was walking around kind of a, a neighborhood and knew everybody. As I'm mm-hmm. leaving the restaurant, uh, Chris Bork, the, the, the principal at Bishop Heal and Catholic High School, he drives by, honks, hey, Father Crowley!" as he's honking and waving, A random homeless guy behind kind of the truck on the street. He goes, hey, waving me too. How are you doing? So he's waving. We start talking. I leave after talking to the homeless guy. And then we're we're walking away, and these two ladies sitting sitting on a bench. Uh, I'm wearing clerics, and I had Birkenstock sandals. And she goes, it's good to see a pastor in Birkenstocks, you know? And then I'm walking a couple more blocks, and Father Peter Nguyen, one of the priests in town, he drives past and honks to him like, it is just Mr. Rogers' neighborhood in downtown Sioux City on this Saturday morning, you know? Just... With a little, with a little uh, kind of spice to it, you know. Glad you have so many
1: local connections there. Isn't that as nice? You're working the streets, isn't
0: that nice? Yeah,
1: you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, meeting all the locals. That's yeah, great.
0: That's that's me. That's that's right. Just getting out I the think there, meeting people. I
1: think there is a real beauty to living kind of in the inner city areas. Um, there's a lot of ethnic diversity, which kind of shows you the the richness of, of immigrant communities. You said there's you know lots of different architectural styles. Uh, we all know Father Peter Pham of, of our diocese who was just recently ordained a priest. And it was interesting when he first came to the United States eight years ago, when we were driving around some of the nicer neighborhoods of Northwest Iowa, he said to me, these neighborhoods are boring. Yes. And what he noticed is just that, you know, sometimes the, the larger the homes are, or, or maybe the more quiet residential areas usually don't have a lot of outdoor activity. Um, but in inner city areas there's are just a lot more people out on the streets uh, there's smaller homes their small apartments might just kind of promote you know a sense of well, I gotta get out of the house let's go meet people let's go hang out see what's going on in the neighborhood um, I, you know I really grew to love listening to the sirens downtown in Sioux City mm. and your residence and my former residence is only just a few blocks away from the fire station and uh, just a few more blocks away from the police department and the Catholic hospital Um, but I just really, I grew to appreciate having the sirens in the background all the time because it made me aware of the needs of other people. It it kind of kept me in a a state of communion with those in need to just offer intercessory prayer as opposed to being completely isolated from any sirens way out in the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's just not always that constant reminder of how you're connected to others and how others are in need. So for me, that that was just one of the perks of living downtown Sioux City over yeah. those years.
0: This is actually becoming like a really helpful segue that was not planned uh, for the topic today. However, I, I've just felt that myself. And I got to say, it's like I grew up in a tiny little town. And I, what I loved is how familial it is and how you do know everybody. What mm-hmm. is kind of hard sometimes, it, you know, <laughs> making my way downtown on Saturday and I got to, you know, all my all my homies on the street, everybody's, you know, kind of saying hi to me and stuff. That doesn't happen often and the anonymity that's present in a city is it can be difficult and it can be kind of Mm -hmm. like in a weird way isolating I I think I've come to appreciate it just kind of like how eclectic um, the people are you're seeing new people all the time but then you'll still see we live in a small Midwest city so you still see the same people kind of once in a while like the coffee shops I frequent I end up seeing like the guy who's you know who runs the Chevy dealership, it's like we're almost on the same schedule of which coffee shops we hit up in the day—one in the morning, mm-hmm. one in the afternoon, different things like that. So you see the same people around town who frequent the same places. Um, there's nothing wrong with living in the suburbs. It's a beautiful place to raise your family because it's quiet and safe, right, and comfortable. It's good. Um, however, however, what I think, what I want to talk about today is a distinction between isolation and communion. And I want to bring in some interesting literary comparisons that um, go back to college that I got to experience at conception. Um, But the more and more we live on social media, the more and more we live in these kind of isolated experiences, the less and less urban centers like that, right? Um, are actually populated and and frequented. I mean, the white flight that happened in U.S. cities in the 70s still has effects, right? That the inner cities are pretty impoverished and there's not as many businesses. And when you walk around downtown Sioux City, it's not dangerous. It's just empty, right? There's a lot Mm -hmm. of empty buildings. There's not as many shops as there used to be. People will reference that to older folks who grew up in some of these more urban neighborhoods, different urban parishes. They'll reference it just how kind of sad it feels. Like There's just not as much common life that's lived kind of, you know, walking culture and things like that. That goes back to our, one of our early episodes, father Shane, where you talked about, right. Cars, combines, contraceptions, just mm-hmm. that. And that affected urban city living, just like it did um, rural life. Right. And mm-hmm. the ethnic neighborhoods we used to have with Polish and Lithuanian. And um, we had a French parish in town. We had the kind of Irish and German different components. It's like that all had a certain kind of richness of diversity Um, however, I've just noticed culturally these cultural trends that we're experiencing in the church and in the world that leads toward a growing isolation and less opportunity for communion, community as we see it, it's becoming more and more of a problem that I don't think we pay attention to. And what it always gets back to with our topics, Father Shane, is that it is a place of people feeling outcast, right? I think obviously not to just dwell on it because I know it gets kind of It's a tired thing to talk about social media, but it affects everybody, affects all of us, right? I mean, podcasts or social media, yes, but especially the frequency with how young people that we interact with all the time live through Snapchat, live through Instagram, live through TikTok, right? It proposes community, right? We're all watching the same TikTok videos. We're in a constant streak on Snapchat. It's a proposal of community that's not actually real, right? It's a virtual community. Okay, so just say all that. That's the background. One of my friends recently said that he read Moby Dick, mm-hmm. one of the most you know famous American novels um, mm-hmm. that sort of takes place in Nantucket in New England, and it surrounds whale hunting, right? Whaling, right? It's Everybody kind of knows the name. Oh, okay, Moby Dick's the name of this whale, okay? So he, sa- he said that he just read it, and I was like, oh, man, I took a class in college that compared... Um, Nathaniel Hawthorne and Herman Melville's writings to the prevailing mm-hmm. romantic trends of the time, and I'll explain these different words as we go along. But what was so helpful, I just remembered th- what we talked about in that class and how what it really got down to was a distinction between rugged individualism that leads to an isolation or real communion between people. So it kind of, I was kind of, it was kind of triggering to in a good way. To see, oh, okay, what I'm experiencing right now, how I'm living, what I'm experiencing, how I'm watching younger people live, how I'm watching people feel more isolated. I'm like, oh, those were those themes we talked about years ago in that class. Um, and this actually really applies. So the Romantic period of literature, right, and kind of like throughout the 1800s is kind of late 1700s, 1800s. You saw these guys like Woodsworth and Coleridge, in particular, some of these European um, poets, right? They'd go up into the Alps and France and Italy And sort of like the desire was to experience this kind of transcendent experience of reality, of nature. God was kind of on the side post-enlightenment, right? So it was just this experience of self-expression. I've mentioned before, but Woodsworth's uh, definition of poetry was spontaneous emotion recollected in tranquility, right? So like that was the move. It was like, do whatever I can to have this kind of spontaneous rush of emotion to be in the woods, to see the mountains, to see the sea, and then kind of recollect that in tranquility to understand myself uh, in a better way. Literature comes out of that time, though, that is a reaction to the prevailing kind of rugged individual of the Romantic period, right? That I'm mm-hmm. going to go by myself into the mountains and have this crazy self-discovery, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's that There's that compelling painting. It's called um, Wander Over the Sea, I think, or something like that, where you're looking at a man who's kind of on like a cliff looking into the sea, um, that 's kind of like an image of the romantic period that 's often that 's often used um, Hawthorne Melville write directly against that, right mm-hmm. so you take Moby Dick well Hawthorne first of all, people read the scarlet letter, you see this breakdown of community in the in a Puritan setting right with adultery and all of this stuff with the scarlet letter that 's worn okay, but Melville, this is so fascinating with uh, Moby Dick, Captain Ahab is the rugged individualist, right? He is the romantic who is just trying to find the self-expression in the world. Ishmael, right? The main character is the first words of the book is call, my, call me Ishmael. Mm-hmm. And his native kind of buddy, Queequeg, okay? <laughs> they become friends. And while there's all these crazy details about whaling and you're kind of following the story and it's about finding this whale, what you get to see compared is the difference between a rugged individualism and, where Captain Ahab is going to conquer this whale at all costs. That is, It doesn't matter what happens to anybody else in the path. This is his mission. This is his way of you know experiencing this, this self-manifestation in the world. Meanwhile, these guys, who are kind of like opposing him, they're actually growing in friendship, and it becomes really clear that it's not about this whale. It's about communion. It's about friendship, right? I think we need that teaching today more than ever, we need that understanding more than ever that we're made for communion, right? We're not made for isolation. And I know we've talked about this in different ways in the past, but I think especially as we consider how we're living our lives, and are we living lives that are tending toward communion or tending toward isolation? Father Shane, I've talked a lot. I'm curious what your what your thoughts are.
1: No, thanks for the, the literature introduction. That's beautiful. You know, full disclosure here, I never read Moby Dick, which is really surprising because my American literature a teacher in high school was Mrs. Eileen Silva from Bishop Heelan High School in Sioux City. God rest her soul. Uh, she died, you know, a few years ago of some uh, major medical complications. Uh, but she herself was from New England, huh? And and I, she always talked about Moby Dick, but we never read it. I think she rotated her her literature books probably just to kind of keep things interesting for herself because there's so much that she could teach. But each semester she would rotate her her literature readings, and so the one semester I was with her, we we actually didn't do it in the rotation. Uh, but it's one of those classics that I've always wanted to to pick up. You were mentioning the Wanderer over the uh, by the sea of the uh, whatever it's called, the Sea of Fog. Oh, you looked it up. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, it's by Caspar Friedrich and yes. uh, from the early nineteenth century, and it, it it does give this wonderful display of the contemplative man kind of looking out over the sea of nature, uh, captured by his own thoughts in a moment of beauty, deep introspection, uh, seeking to be kind of one with earth, so to speak. Um, But it does look kind of a bit isolating. Yeah. And it doesn't really speak to what is the community element. That'd be very different than uh, a painting from the Baroque period where maybe there's a whole town festival. Yes. Especially like in Flemish art, you know, what are, the, what are the local folk doing in, in terms of an outdoor festival, you know, street parties, something like that. It's very different than this very isolated experience about, you know, wanting to, to reflect on the internal notions of beauty. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we can say it enough that we really are made for communion. And, and there's just countless people saying this, that technology was intended, well, technology in every generation, going back to the ancient, ancient peoples, Technology is always intended to help benefit life, to help, uh, with instructions, to help with, um, mechanics of, of making life easier. But is it actually breaking down the quality of life? Yeah. Is, is it improving our lifestyle or is the, the rapid development of technology actually breaking down a sense of communion and a sense of solidarity? Uh, these are deep, deep questions that many people are facing. And I think we already know the answers.
0: Yeah. And I just want to say this, like, I think there's always a temptation that you can say, well, Father Travis, you're just really like extroverted, like people. So, of course, you're going to want to talk about communion. Um, I'm just really introverted and like just like to be by myself all the time and just watch Netflix and whatever. It's like, I don't know, (laughs) we're made for communion. Right. We're also made for contemplation and solitude with God. Right. Mm -hmm. And that happens in the context of a common life that's lived. So it's not one or the other. It's saying, okay, what is my natural disposition? Where do I tend toward, right? And where do I need to grow in virtue to overcome that natural tendency, either direction, right? We we can't just allow like whatever personality we, we is our kind of default that that just like determines how we live our life, right? That mm-hmm. oh because I'm because I'm more energized when I spend time with people, that means I should have no time for personal prayer. Um, oh I don't I'm uncomfortable in large groups of people, so I should never put myself out there, and I should just sit by myself in my house all the time, right? It's like. That's a dichotomy that's not helpful. Um, But it is helpful to see that coming to a greater understanding of who we were created, what we were created for, who we were created to be, right, includes both. So, you know, we talked recently about the Desert Fathers, and hermits look like a pretty idealized way of living the Christian life, right? And it's, like, super intense when you hear about hermits. But especially as monasticism began to grow, men and women, right, especially as it would became more institutionalized, could not be hermits unless they first lived in community for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so so there wasn't, it wasn't this dichotomy of like, well, I just don't like people, so I'm going to go have my exclusive time with God over here, right? Um, monastic life is a way of honing our humanity, right, to be brought in a deeper relationship with God and with the world and with, with the community. But I always thought that was fascinating. People say all the time, in catholic circles about this that hermits first had to live in community before they became hermits themselves right so i remembered when we were studying this i actually took a romantics class at the same time so i was hearing both sides of this it's like and there's something so beautiful about reading coleridge and woodsworth poetry right because it really does get to this like level of um, introspection and self-expression and it's it's beautiful to see the capacity of the human mind and the human heart that's there. And that's so exciting. Right. And we need more of that, but I think we actually have less of that. Right. It's not like we have just everybody who's just, you know, they're writing these manifestos on, 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 you know, Instagram and stuff. It's like, no, we're all just like consuming TikTok. Like that's not, that's not the same as these guys. It's like hiking into the woods and experiencing the transcendence of nature. That's not what we're experiencing when we're just like sending Snapchats all day long. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was, there was something to be said about these two men, about Hawthorne and Melville, who wrote against a prevailing culture of this rugged individualism and to say, no, 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 that's not it. But they were still living in the context, and they're saying, like no, 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 we need to have this understanding of who we are in relationship with creation, with relationship with one another, relationship with myself. Um, but we're not made for isolation. We're made for communion. right? And if we're made for the communion of the saints, if we're made for heaven with communion with the Trinity – who's a perfect communion of persons, right? Then that's got to be reflected here and now. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the move is, but it's like every time we talk about parish life, every time we talk about, you know, feeling outcast, it's just like we can see the problems with isolation and we can see the problems that social media can bring about in our lives. Um, we can all talk about those problems, but can we take those like little steps? Can we take those little moves to mer- to work toward a real place of communion, right? It's like, to know that there are probably people in your parish who are feeling very isolated from the experience of not being welcome to the community, right? We've, we've mentioned this before quite a bit, right? To know people in your family, maybe even your own children, whatever, experiencing that isolation that happens, right? Even between spouses, right? Within presbyterates, like you and I are challenged to, to, to live in a, a communion of brothers, right? Um, with different friendships that are present. It's like, where am I just kind of like leaning toward this isolation and where am I actually being invited, called into deeper communion with one another?
1: Mm-hmm. I think this is a great topic for pre-evangelization, mm. right? Before you rush someone into a deep catechism study, Bible studies, RCIA, um, for anyone who's really feeling outcast from the church or outcast from a local parish, there could be some pre-evangelization work that's done to say, well, how is this person just in communion with other Christians? You know, how is this person in communion with their neighbors? Whether that's, you know, just being friendly with your neighbors, whether that's being invited over for some meals, whether that's giving the elderly or the disabled a ride somewhere to the grocery store. How is someone just feeling welcomed in a neighborhood setting by the authentic outreach and generosity of Christian witness? And that, can, that really needs to happen to build up a, a very human understanding of communion among persons before we can say, okay, now we're going to dive into a communion of believers. Mm-hmm. We're going to worship together. We're going to study together. We're going to pray together. Uh, there, there's just so much pre-evangelization work that has to be done for those who feel really distant from an active role in a parish. Mm-hmm. And, and some of these little basic steps to say, you need not le- live life is- in an isolated fashion. And I, I'm actually interested in your life. I'm interested in accompanying you. I'm interested in sharing my life with you. Uh, those very common basic gestures can go a long way to building trust, uh, to building vulnerability in which the presence of God and and discussions about the sacred can then be interwoven. Mm -hmm.
0: Well said, Father Shane. Thank you for hearing me out on that and hearing my random stories that I'm always excited to share about Two City. Friends, let's let this summer be a time of communion coming together rather than isolation. See you soon.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.